Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Acts chapter 12, uh, this is an interesting story, and, and really, uh, it's a story about prayer. It's a story about the faithfulness of God. It's a story uh, about how God does things, perhaps even when we don't expect him to do it. Uh, God is always going to glorify his name in the midst of circumstances. And it's amazing because so many times we like to put God in a box and we expect him to do certain things. The question is, what are we expecting God to do? What do we expect of God? What are are we demanding of God that he ought to be doing because of what we're doing? That's always an interesting question. Have you ever thought about that? Well, I've prayed, Lord, so therefore you need to do this. And you can fill in the blank. God will always glorify his name. Are we expecting that? No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter how it turns out in terms of what we thought, what we wanted, do we expect of God and agree and walk with him and rejoice in it that God will bring glory to his name? I think this is an amazing passage. There's three things that I want to share with you out of it. Persecution, there's an intervention, God intervenes, there's an expectation. The church is in prayer, and a lot of the believers were in prayer, and we don't know exactly what they prayed. We can kind of guesswork on that one a little bit, Uh, but it's amazing how God meets with them and, and how God surprises them, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a neat thing to be able to walk through this. Let me just share this with you if you want to summarize it. Believers, fervent in prayer, can look forward with expectation to whatever our sovereign Lord chooses to do. Did you catch that? It's not what we want him to do, it's whatever our sovereign Lord chooses to do. And the question is, are we resting in him in that? Do we trust him in that? Are we enjoying him in the midst of that? Or are we demanding? Or are we telling him? What is it that we're doing? Look uh, at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and following. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and following. Persecution. Persecution begins. We saw this in Saul. We saw this through uh, uh, the persecution that hit in Jerusalem and Saul got saved out of it. We know that there was a time period here where uh, suddenly that persecution had diminished but now begins to pick back up again. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. This is Herod Agrippa I. He's got quite a family. What a family. I can't imagine being at the table with these people. Herod Agrippa I, his grandson, or he's the grandson of Herod the Great. If you remember, Herod the Great had all the Bethlehem children murdered under two years old, right? Think about that. That's your grandfather. (laughs) What a heritage. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. And we could go on. They were a very wicked family. They were Edomites, and therefore they were hated by the Jewish people because they were in cahoots, so to speak, with Rome. They ruled over the Jews. 
They were kind of a pawn, so to speak, of the Romans. So Herod, Agrippa I, grabs some of these people, some of these believers, in order to mistreat them. Verse 2 says he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. That means he was beheaded. James, the brother of John, is one of the apostles. He's the first apostle to be martyred, not the last. But he's the first one that is martyred. He's put to death with the sword. It's interesting that the Lord had told James that he would suffer. If you remember in Matthew chapter 20, uh, and specifically in verse 23, uh, John and James's mom had come to ask the Lord for seats at the right and left hand of the son when he entered into glory. And the Lord says to him, that's not mine to give. And they go through this whole description of, you know, well, are you, you going to bear this cup? And James and John being zealous, fervent, of course we can bear this cup. <laughs> Verse 23 of Matthew 20, he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it has been prepared by my father. And he's speaking of the fact that they are going to drink of the cup. What cup are we talking about? We're talking about the cup of suffering. The cup of suffering. They were going to suffer. You remember John uh, ultimately ended up being banished to the island of Patmos where God revealed uh, himself to him. And we have the book of Revelation as a result of that. James is the first apostle and he is beheaded. Why is Herod doing this? Well, I think it's pretty clear he's... He's politically astute. He wants to please the Jews. He wants to to make sure that the Jews understand that he's supportive of of the national fervor of of Israel as a whole, of Judaism. And in verse 3, it says, When he saw that it pleased the Jews, the beheading of James, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he he recognizes, hey, I I scored some political points here. And so I'm going to now get Peter. And remember, Peter's the head. Peter's the leader. Peter's the one that has, in effect, led the confrontation with the Sanhedrin. The Jews do not like Peter. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. This is when he had Peter arrested. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. This is really ironic he, he arrests Peter during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The reason they were celebrating Unleavened Bread is because they had a seven-day period of, of time where they celebrated their rescuing, their salvation out of Egypt. They celebrated the Passover, and then for seven days they were not to have any leavened bread in their homes. Leaven was a picture of sin. So here Herod, in celebrating and trying to support the past, the Jewish history, tradition is actually, in many ways, showing forth the gospel, the need for Christ. The whole picture of the Passover is salvations by the blood of the Lamb. The death angel went over, and if he saw the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, the lentils of the the home, he would pass over. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were rescued out of the land of Egypt. It's a picture of being rescued out of this world by the blood of Christ himself, the perfect, spotless lamb of God. Why? Because of our sin. Herod clearly had rejected the gospel message. He was now persecuting the church. It's interesting, too, that he puts four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's 16 men, four in each group. 
We find later on that there was two that were chained to Peter. There were two that were in front of perhaps a cell door in order to guard. And they would take turns. They would do shifts. Maybe they were six-hour shifts and they would change. Peter and the apostles had already miraculously escaped from prison at one point. Herod wanted to make sure it didn't happen again. I don't think he learned his lesson, do you? I mean, give me a break. God was allowing Herod along with these soldiers to respond to the gospel one last time. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Don't ever forget that in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, that the Lord is at work in the individuals that perhaps appear to be in control, but they're not. God's the one that's in control. God's the one that's in authority. We have Herods today who hate the gospel, who hate the word of God, who are doing everything they can to stamp it out. I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you have one of those in your life. Understand, God is at work in their hearts. In some way, in some form, God is at work. And the question is, are we trusting the Lord in the midst of that to accomplish his ways? Verse 5 tells us, So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Fervently means earnestly, continually, intensely. They've already lost one apostle, and that would have been a pretty great loss. He was beheaded. Now Peter's in jail, and they look at this, and they don't expect anything else than his martyrdom. And so they are intensely praying. They are earnestly praying. They are continually in prayer before the Lord. Verse 6, we get into the intervention. And I love this part of it. You know, sometimes we, we and I'm serious-minded, I get that. I, I love uh, the Word of God, and I, I, I believe we're in days where uh, we've, we've got <laughs> to be honest, we've got to be realistic. There, there are some serious things that we're going through. But I, I tell you the truth, I love humor too. I love humor. I think God gave me Jonathan in, in many ways because uh, he, he makes me laugh, and it's fun. I look at Stephanie and the things that she does, and you don't know her like I know her, and, and it's amazing, and I laugh. And I just I love being around people that, that love to have a good time and, and love uh, to lighten things up and look at life in a different way than perhaps sometimes I do, and, and it's fun. I, I think when we read through this, don't miss God's humor. Don't miss God's humor. People think that they can put God in a box, and God loves to break that one. He loves to shatter those boxes. And he loves to do it in ways that only he gets credit for, that only he could ever be glorified for. Verse 6, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. I don't know about you. I don't know that I'd be sleeping, would you? I don't know what that says about Peter. We know that perhaps he recognized from things that the Lord had said to him earlier on when the Lord was still with them physically that Peter recognized that he was going to be crucified and maybe he knew that Herod didn't have the authority to do that, that that was a Roman issue and as a result he wasn't too worried about what was going to happen with Herod. Somehow God was going to work it out. I don't know. I've heard all kinds of things about that. The fact of the matter is, is he was sleeping and that's pretty remarkable. Because I know me, and I have a hard enough time sleeping as it is, I don't think I'd be sleeping, especially chained to two guards. That's really uncomfortable. Right? But he's sleeping. 
Verse 7 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. Catch that? And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. <laughs> I like this next verse. When Peter came to himself. Isn't that funny? I mean, come on, that's funny. The guy's in a, he's in a stupor. He doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> have you ever seen somebody sleepwalk? Have you ever? Uh, Jonathan's been so funny with this jet lag. He doesn't know this. I'm sorry to pick on you today, man. But the things that he says in his sleep, I mean, it's funny to try to wake him up. It, it's like he's blinking and he, and, he, and he just can't seem to grasp reality. Peter was sleeping. He's in a dead sleep. Suddenly he's woken up. And he thinks he's, he's having a vision. And he's had visions before, so he would know. He knows what that feels like, what that, what that experience is like. <laughs> when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Some things to know. He, he obviously, in verse 9 and 11, thinks this is a vision until the angel leaves him in the street. I mean, here he is in the street, and all of a sudden he's going, now what? What happened? Light's gone. I'm out here. You can imagine him pinching himself a few times. Is this real? Am I awake? Oh, I guess I am. How about that? I've been rescued. I think it's fascinating to watch how the angel didn't really need to do anything. Everything happened in an automatic way. Isn't that cool? He, he hits Peter, evidently. I don't know what it's like to get hit by an angel, but I don't. it woke him up. <laughs> right? But everything happens automatically. Chains fall off. Doors open. Iron doors. I mean, they just proceed like this is nothing to it. Absolutely nothing to this. Don't miss that. Do we think that God is incapable of anything? What is it that God can't do? Peter is sleeping. He's chained between two guards. You know, what's interesting is there's no attempt to subdue the guards. I don't know what kind of sleep they had that night. It's their last night to actually have a good night's sleep. They slept well. They didn't, they didn't hear anything. They didn't see anything. They had no idea what had happened at all whatsoever. There was no need to, to subdue them. In other words, the guards were not a threat. They're not a threat to God. They're not a problem for God. There was no attempt at silence. There was no attempt at discretion. A light comes on in the cell. If I'm breaking out of jail... Have you all seen this? If you're watching a movie and somebody's breaking out of jail, the last thing you do is hit the person, allow the chains to fall off and make all kinds of metallic noise and turn a light on in the cell to wake up the people that are guarding you. You don't do that. Do you? I mean, I've never had to break out of jail before, but I'm assuming some things here. Is that right? Come on, y'all. 
You're about to have turkey this week. Let's go. This is a funny story. I mean, here these guards are snoring away, man, and the angel doesn't even bother with them. Get up. Get your shoes on. There's no attempt at silence. There's no attempt at discretion. God is able. He's able. He tells him to put on his cloak and put on his shoes. He even takes time to get dressed. I, mean, I, I, I know me. I'd be grabbing this stuff and sprinting. I wouldn't be standing around going, oh, yeah, I forgot my coat. Let me grab my coat, right? That's great. Oh, thank you. Thank, thanks for your help, Angel. I appreciate that. No. Oh, I got to tie my shoes. Hold on. My sandals need to be, you know, strapped. No, man. Get me out of here. They pass the first and second cards. The iron door is open leading to the street. Can you imagine that? I, I don't know. It's a good thing Peter was probably thinking this was all a vision because I can't imagine, uh, John put it this way, that we, we have WD-40 at this particular moment. I don't think those iron doors opened quietly. It was probably, and Peter, I mean, it's a good thing he's in a, in a, a trance of some kind. He's still out of it because he'd probably go, wow, Dr. Quiet. I can slip through that. It's okay. Don't, you don't need to open it anymore. The indication is the door was just flung open. There it is. <laughs> Evidently, it was shut again because the soldiers had no idea how Peter had escaped. <laughs> they had no clue. You know, it's interesting to me that the Lord waited until hours before they planned the execution of Peter. He waited all week. The church been praying fervently all week. And it's but a few hours before Herod was going to execute him that the angel comes and frees Peter. Have you ever been in prayer and you, you feel like you're absolutely sincere in it? You feel like you know God's will in it? You feel like this is what needs to happen and it just seems like God's not listening? Any, anybody? Well, we got at least somebody honest. All of us, if you're being honest, have probably been through circumstances where we're wondering, Lord, are you listening? Do you hear? Do you know what's going on here? Do you care? The Lord is rarely early, but he's never late. You've heard that, right? Do we believe it? What's interesting is the pattern in Scripture, and you can see this over and over again, that the Lord normally waits until his saints, believers, are exhausted to where there seems like there's no hope. Everything that we've done has been done. Why does he do that? I think partly why he does that is because he knows that if he were to do it on our timetable, we would want to take credit for it. We, we would want the glory. And that's not healthy for us because it's not true. God deserves the credit. God deserves the glory. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Let me ask you this. What are you waiting upon him to do? And he seems to be slow in responding. 
Are you continuing to trust him no matter what? Are you continuing to defer to his leadership, to defer to him, to defer to his ability? Are you continuing to trust in his character? Or have we so put God in a box that he's waiting for us to just die to what we think, what we can figure out, what we understand, because it's then that he will choose to enter into the circumstance in a way that he will receive the glory for it. Well, there's expectation. Verse 12. Peter's woken up in the middle of the street. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. Interesting to note that Mary is Barnabas's brother. Uh, you can see that in Scripture. So Mark is Barnabas's nephew. Quite a family. Quite a godly home. Peter goes to their house where many were gathered together and were praying. They were praying at home rather than a public place, probably because of the danger. But in spite of that, in recognizing that, think of the bravery in this. Think of how courageous they are. Think of the courage of Mary to open up her home where many are gathered. We don't know the number, but many are gathered. And they are praying, obviously, for Peter, for the circumstance. How important are godly homes? How important is it for our homes to be places of prayer? How important is it for our children to see us in prayer? You know how God used Mark? It's amazing. Are our homes lighthouses? where people know that's a place where the Lord is honored, worshiped, glorified, where prayer takes place. Are our children seeing that in us, where they recognize that there is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the impact of it is clearly in the Lord's hands. When I was in Myanmar, there was two people there, a couple, Pony and Hannah. They were our translators. I want to tell you something. They're godly people. They take care of these children at their expense. They have kids come and live at their home, and their home is something that when we talk about a structural building, isn't anything that any one of us would ever live in. Period. They visit over a hundred villages to minister and share the gospel. And when we talk about how these children worship the Lord, you can see that they've had that role modeled to them by Pony and Hannah. And it's convicting because they clearly put the Lord first over everything. Everything. Verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda. Now, you know Rhoda, don't you? You've heard of Rhoda, right? Rhoda came to answer. I love this girl, Rhoda. I can't wait to meet her. I don't know how old she is, but they call her a servant girl, indicating that she was pretty young. <laughs> she was a part of this prayer meeting, but they heard the knock at the door. It's the outer door, and so Rhoda goes running out in order to answer this. 
Verse 14 tells us when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. She didn't even see Peter. Did you catch that? She didn't even see him. Oh, it's Peter. All she did was hear his voice. I think that's pretty profound. She obviously had heard Peter teach. She obviously knew who Peter was. She left one of our founding fathers, an apostle, standing in the cold. She will never live that down. Never live it down. It's in scripture. Not one jot or tittle will pass from this word. Rhoda forever is going to be known as the servant girl that left the great apostle Peter at the door. I love it. Folks, if you don't see the humor in that, you need to wake up. You need something. I don't know. I don't know where to help you. They said to her, you're out of your mind. I mean, here they are in prayer. You're out of your mind. It can't be Peter. He's in prison. Don't you know that, Rhoda? You didn't hear correctly. Or, as she kept insisting, it's his angel. It's his angel. It's not really Peter. It's his angel. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. Some people think that, well, it was his personal bodyguard angel that was appearing on behalf of Peter. And somehow there's a belief system that the angel that is your personal bodyguard actually looks like you. Oh, I feel sorry for my angel if that's the case, right? Give me a break. I sure hope not. Gee whiz, I don't want to get to heaven and look at the guy that's been taking care of me and see me. I think that's kind of weird. But at the same time, in the midst of this, they did believe that there were angels that were helping protect. Now, whether they were talking about the angel that was helping protect Peter or whether they thought that Peter had already been martyred and it was his spirit, I don't quite understand that one. Maybe you can help me out on that. Don't do it after the service. Write me an email or something. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him, and they were amazed. They were amazed. They weren't looking for it. They weren't expecting of it. And all of a sudden, here's Peter. Here comes Rhoda. Rhoda leaves him at the door, runs in. Peter's there. Peter's at the front. No way. It can't be him. You're, you're, you're imagining things. You're out of your mind. It must be his angel. It can't be Peter. And when Peter walks in, can you imagine? I think they must have laughed. I think they must have been like, wow, look at that. It is Peter. Rhoda, you were right. Rhoda's going, I told you, I told you. <laughs> Silly people are praying the whole night. What the heck have we been praying for all week? I don't know what they were praying. It actually doesn't tell us that. They had prayed all week. We know that. They're surely tired. They were praying all night when Peter shows up. Some would suggest that they're not praying in faith. They were praying for Peter, and when the Lord answers, they rationalize that it could not be him, but it was rather his ghost or his angel or somehow Rhoda was out of her mind. I'm reminded of the story of the lady who decided to put the Lord to the test she had a beautiful home, and she was standing at her kitchen window, and she was looking out one day, and there was a mountain blocking a beautiful view. And she said, well, Lord, 
um, I'm going to put you to the test. Uh, you, you said if you have faith uh, that can move mountains, you, you, you can do it. So, Lord, would you move this mountain? Get it out of my way. Get it out of the kitchen uh, picture here. I, I want that mountain to move from one place to the next. I have the faith to believe you that that can take place. You can do that, God. She went to bed, and next morning she woke up, and she came back, and she looked out her kitchen window, and the mountain was still there, and she says to herself, just as I thought, wait for it, wait for it. In other words, as she's praying, she really didn't believe that it was going to happen. Well, maybe that's the truth with these people. Maybe they were praying all week that the Lord would release Peter, that the Lord would set him free. And then when it happens, they're surprised. And why are they surprised? They've been praying for it all week. I I don't know. That may be true. I tend to think that what they were praying was a little bit more than just Lord release Peter from prison. The reason I say that is because we know how the church had been taught to pray, how it had been role modeled to them to pray. We've seen this earlier in Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, after Peter and John had been threatened by the Sanhedrin not to teach in the name of Jesus Christ any longer, Peter and John come back into the early church at that particular point in time. They share with them what it is, and they begin to pray. And verse 29 through 30 says, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice what they did not pray. Lord, remove the Sanhedrin out of our lives so that we can make sure we follow you more easily without interruption, distraction, or threat. They didn't pray that. In spite of the Sanhedrin and in spite of these threats, Lord, give us boldness to proclaim your name. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we see the response of The apostles, they all had been put into prison. Then they were released by an angel. They went and began to preach the message of this life. And uh, the Sanhedrin goes to get them out of prison. They're not there. The guards come and say, oh, those guys that you imprisoned, well, they're over uh, the temple area and they're preaching um, the message that you didn't want them to preach. And and so they go and rearrest them. This is where Gamaliel had his moment. They wanted to kill him and they didn't. Instead, they flog them. They beat them viciously. In verse 41 of Acts 5, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Not, Lord, get rid of the Sanhedrin. Alleviate these circumstances. Make this way clear for us so that we can live a more comfortable life. See, James has already been beheaded. I don't know, and I'm sure that they were praying that Peter would be released. I have no doubt. Just like we pray for Saeed in Iran, that the Lord would release him. I think with that said, we also pray that God would glorify his name through Saeed. That God would glorify his name through those individuals that perhaps are facing martyrdom. That God's name would be glorified. And yes, Lord, if it be your will, would you free them? Would you alleviate these terrible circumstances? But I think the primary prayer is, Lord, 
with expectancy, we look to you to glorify your name no matter what the circumstance may be. Is that how we pray? Maybe it's kind of fun that God surprised them with the release of Peter. And maybe part of it was that they really truly weren't expecting that because that wasn't really the focus of their prayer. I don't know, but I don't know that they were only praying for Peter to be released. We're never told that. They knew how to pray. They knew how to pray for the glory of God, regardless of the suffering. They had something in their mind that was singular, and that was the glory of God. And the apostles had not only prayed this for them, had role modeled this for them, but had also taught them that this is how you pray. Because Jesus himself had taught them how to pray. When's the last time we've been fervently in prayer? And how are we praying? Lord, alleviate these circumstances out of my life. Lord, help me with this, because if you just eliminate this problem, then I'm going I'm to be able to follow you better. Or is it, Lord, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what I'm going through, be glorified. And I, with expectancy, look to you to glorify your name in the midst of whatever it is that you want to do. I know there's been many times in my own personal life that I've been distraught. And when I say distraught, I'm talking the kind of uh, uh, fear and and angst and worry that wakes you up at 1 o'clock in the morning. You can't go back to sleep till 4 or 5. Why? Well, part of it has been because of a lack of trusting in the Lord to bring, bring glory to his name. Part of it is because I got my eyes off of the Lord and I started to get my eyes on the storm. I've been caught off guard when the Lord seems to suddenly answer prayer in a way that I didn't anticipate. Have you ever had that happen? Suddenly something happened and you just think, Lord, I didn't expect that. (laughs) And the Lord is so kind to us, isn't he? He's patient with us. He's always teaching us. He's always growing us. He's always leading us. He's always guiding us. He's always guarding us. The Lord is good to do that. I've really been convicted many times, even over the last years, how little I actually really trust the Lord. I say I do. I know the word of God. I know what the word of God says. But all of a sudden, when, when the reality of the word of God hits the reality of circumstances of life, suddenly my lack of faith gets exposed real quickly. My prayer is that I would learn, that we would all learn to pray with expectancy that God will bring glory to his name regardless of the situation. Regardless of what we think, what we can measure, what we can come up with. Are we praying that? Are we willing to pray that? Why did the Lord allow James to be beheaded, but he saved Peter? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe one day when we're in heaven, we'll get to ask the Lord that. Maybe we'll be able to say, well, Lord, why, why did you 
not free James. He was one of the apostles as well. Or Peter, how did you feel when you were released from prison knowing that James had been beheaded? Sometimes we don't understand why the Lord allows certain things. And, and we've seen that recently. Lynn Miller was taken home. I can guarantee you there was fervent prayer on her behalf that she would be healed. And that's not wrong to pray that. We, we've had circumstances over the past years of, of, of family members who have gone on to be with the Lord in ways that Perhaps we don't fully understand. I think of John's daughter, Ellen. I think of the Hooten's son. I mean, I could go down this list. On the flip side of that, we've had people that have been healed. We've had people that have really experienced God working in their lives in such a way where they've come to us and they've asked for prayer and God has begun to alleviate the pain or the suffering that they've been going through. It's amazing. Why does God do the one and not the other? You know what, folks? That's God's prerogative. And the question is, do we trust the Lord in that? Are we willing to walk with him in that? Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. It's good to know that no matter how difficult the trials or how disappointing the news, God is still on the throne and has everything under control. We may not always understand his ways, but we know his sovereign will is best. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I've been blessed by the, the Miller family, Ken and his sons, listening to them share how they trust God in the midst of a Deeply painful circumstance. I know that's Christ in them. Do we trust the Lord to bring glory to his name in spite of the circumstances? Verse 17 and following is kind of a conclusion. Motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led them out of prison or led him out of prison. He says to them, report these things to James and the brethren. And then he left and went to another place. James is an elder in the church of Jerusalem, the Lord's brother, not the apostle that had been beheaded. Verse 18, when they came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what they could have become or what could have become of Peter. <laughs> you think? When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered them that they be led away to execution. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, was spending time there. Don't miss the fact that God was working in Herod's life. God was working in these guards' life. They were chained to the apostle Peter. You think that maybe the apostle Peter took the opportunity to share the gospel with them? I think so. We don't know... Uh, the soldiers, we don't know what their eternal state ended up being, but I can guarantee you when Peter wasn't there, they thought about it real quickly because they knew the penalty for losing a prisoner. And who knows, maybe we'll get to meet them in heaven as well. And we'll get to hear their side of this story. I was dreaming about, had no idea. Who knows? We'll find out about Herod later on. God judges him. Folks, are our hearts hardened towards the Lord? Are we willing to receive from him what he chooses to accomplish, what he chooses to do? Does God have you in a situation where you're trying to get out of it with everything you, you've got, but the Lord wants you just to trust him in the midst of it, whatever it may be?
And are we as believers, when we pray, praying with expectancy that God will bring glory to his name no matter the circumstances, no matter what we think, no matter what we want or we think is right. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.